0: I'm Victoria Shepherd, and this is the Happy Henry's Woof You podcast where we get to find out a little bit about the people around us who work with, play with or know something about dogs. From the benign to the bizarre I'm happy to talk to anyone about anything dog related and share stories or useful information that will not just inform but also entertain and possibly inspire you. Happy Henrys is a safe space for all dogs and their guardians and takes a more holistic approach to dog grooming, combining consent-based grooming, games-based training and owner education all in one place. So if you have a dog that struggles with being groomed and handled, or just life in general, we'd love to help. Today, I'm talking to fellow groomer Daniela Malcolm-Stewart, who I've been following for a while now. She's fully embraced the kind and gentle way of grooming and her social following is now reaching far and wide due to her knowledge, her desire to continue learning, as well as her wonderful web content. Daniela is a certified holistic groomer and cooperative care specialist and runs Woody's Holistic Grooming. After completing her City and Guilds qualification, she found the course left her with more questions than answers. Daniela is passionate about making life easier for our dogs, and is constantly looking for ways to make grooming more dog centered and less about aesthetics. Hello, Daniela.
1: Hello. Nice to be talking to you.
0: It is fabulous to be talking to you. I mean, I've been following you for quite some time. We've never actually spoken; only messaged each other.
1: I know. Nice to actually put a voice to the to the post, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So where are you based? Um,
1: Uh, Yeah, so I'm in Swindon, uh, which is the Wiltshire area. Um, Little town, not very big, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: tell me about your background and how you ended up creating Woody's Holistic Grooming.
1: (laughs) So in all honesty, grooming was something that I fell into by accident. Um, It started out when I got my first dog, uh, Max, he's a colleague cross retriever. He's a rescue, and in my in my mind, I had this dream that we were going to go around, we're going to do agility together. It was all going to be wonderful, um, and sadly, reality kicked in. And <laughs> actually, Max had a lot of issues that he was struggling to process. He very very scared of other dogs. He struggled in new environments, um, and he was just an overly stressed dog. So what ended up starting off as a journey of wanting to do training for agility and things actually became behavior training and so it was various different um behavior adjustment processes counter conditioning all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um and then i went to a groomers with him because he's got a long coat and i obviously thought it's the done thing to do um and when i took him in i noticed how he was already quite het up he was panting he was showing a lot of stress signals and then i well i mean i couldn't do it again if i tried he freaked out completely. And he jumped over the gate and I managed to catch him in midair before he bolted out the front, like would have bolted out the front door. And it was awful. Oh. Now, some group people would almost panic and go, oh, well, I've got to find another groomer or whatever. But I'd already done so much with Max. I'd done so many behaviour courses. The first thing that went through my mind was, oh God, now I've got to find a grooming course to do as well. And, um, <laughs> so I then went and did my city and guilds. I'm um, wearing my level two grooming qualification with the literal only intention of Grooming Max. I had no intention of doing it as a career. But as I did the course, um, I just noticed there was a lot of things that weren't being picked up on and a lot of the behaviour stuff. I mean, in a 20-week course that I did, there was something like 30 minutes theory on dog behaviour.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, because you said you didn't find all your answers by doing the standard grooming. So what kind of information were you looking for?
1: So, I think what I was struggling with, with it, a lot of the training was how you get from A to B. It, and what I mean is, in the sense of how is this scruffy dog, how do we get this scruffy dog to look like this, you know, prize poodle type thing? But there was no training as to, well, what do we do when the dog emotionally cannot cope with that environment? If they, you know, they don't like the sound of the clippers, or they're terrified of getting in the bath, they don't want you to help hold their feet. They don't want you to do that. You know, it's all well and good telling someone how to safely clip nails, but if you're trying to find that hook and you're trying to find the quick when the dog is pulling their nail away at their foot away from you, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you do that? How do you get past that? And obviously, when you first start out, you tend to underprice yourself, which most groomers do, and therefore you do sometimes end up with the dogs that no one else wants. And what some people perceive that call those the difficult or the naughty dogs, what I actually thought was these are the dogs who are really struggling and no one seems to want to help them. No one right. Wants
0: they to. are, they are shouting
1: for yeah, help. They're they
0: screaming care. for help.
1: Absolutely. And they just get sort of passed from pillar to post because everyone will just say, Oh, you need to deal with that or tell the tell the owner to go and get a behaviorist or whatever. And Even with the behaviorist puts all the work in place. I mean, I'm very lucky that I work in collaboration with some behaviourists, and one of the things that when I did my um, one of my home grooming courses or workshop, one of the puppy trainers was there as a as a participant, and she actually said, "So what you're telling me is I'm teaching chin rests in my puppy classes, I'm teaching dogs to stand on a platform, but actually when they go to a grooming environment, they could potentially be put up somewhere, having their chin held, having the you know the neck nooses and things like that." So all that training that they've done in the puppy class isn't actually that relevant and it doesn't necessarily cross over. And I thought, yeah. well, it's not that it doesn't cross over. It's just that it's slightly different. And so we then worked together and thought, well, actually, there's a bit of a gap here because what we need to do is get these puppies ready for handling properly. Um, yes. But we need to be communicating across the businesses. So the pe- you know, the puppy trainers... And the groomers need to be talking and collaborating. So if I have a, an owner that now comes in to me and says, um, you know, my dog can do a chin rest really well. Um, I'll, I'll know. Oh, OK, great. I can use that because I know that I, I've got a dog who's a he's a, <laughs> a failed guide dog. Bless him. Um, so he'd done for the training, but hadn't quite passed the last bit. But he knows chin rest. He knows how to stand. So I use all of that in yes. grooming. I don't need to use restraints or anything like that, because he already knows all of that. So if the if the guardians feel confident enough to be able to tell the groomer that, then we're all on the same page. Um, I
0: think you're right. I think you're right. One of the things that I do with a local trainer in her puppy classes, I go and do a little um, presentation uh, workshop that talks exactly about this, that we need to encourage a lot of the time is that the guardians just, they don't know. They don't yeah. know what they don't know. So if we can get in there at the beginning and help support them with getting their dog through the process. Um, I mean, I met someone the other day who had got a wool mix, poodle mix, doodle and 17 weeks old, had so much hair and, and, she said, it's okay, I know I don't need to take him to be groomed and I can't take him to be groomed until he's six months old. And I was like, oh, no, please don't. Um, but I think a lot of, they don't realise all those steps, as you say, with the, the every single step that could possibly be a trigger for that dog and push them to a point where they shut down, which we, we obviously don't want, do we?
1: No, absolutely, and I mean my puppy. I've got a little pup. I mean, her. I I call her owner. Um, his owner. Sorry, a little bit of a unicorn owner because um, he's fantastic. He got in contact with me before he even had the puppy, um, and booked. Ugh, in- love that. Oh, it's brilliant. And he booked in some puppy sessions. We don't. He's a crossbreed, so we have no idea what his coat's going to turn out like. He may not even need professional grooming, um, but. We're preparing just in case, and so he's on a six-week course where he's coming in. He's just getting used to coming into the environment. He gets up and down the table. He's getting in and out of the bath. We're teaching him some cooperative care techniques like your chin rests, a, a paw holds, all that kind of stuff, just in preparation. And even if we end up not using it in the grooming environment, it's going to be handy in the vet's environment. I use absolutely, an example yeah. I mean, I use an example of my my colleague Max. One of the things that we taught Max was to uh, show me his belly. So he lies on his side. And he recently had a lump appear um, under his front leg. So we needed to obviously get it checked at the vets. And originally they were trying to sort of get the sample when he was stood up. And you could see him a bit like, like he was trying to do it, but he, he couldn't balance. And I, it came into my head that I said, oh, actually, hang on. Max show me your tummy. And he led down and he showed me his tummy. And they were then able to hold his leg and literally take the sample from this lump. Um, and he didn't, what well, it wasn't bothering him because he knows that when he lies on his side, that's when I'm brushing his tummy or when I'm brushing that sort of the groin areas or I even do his um, paw pads when he's dead on his side. Yes. Then he has hip dysplasia. So I don't want to be lifting those back legs up and down. It's going to hurt him. So by keeping him to lie on his side, I can access those under pads without having to sort of manipulate any joints and causing pain.
0: And if we can get the dog comfortable, especially if I find a stop where they've got the larger dogs, mm. they're, they're carrying a lot of weight, even for their nails. If we can work with that dog so that we're not putting stress on their trying to them balance or anything,
1: yeah.
0: um, it, can, it can be huge um, to do that. But also with you saying preparing, we, we, if we prepare for this possible Situation, even if, as you say, that dog that you're that you've got coming in, you don't know what their coat is ultimately going to be like. But at some point in their life, they are probably going to be at the vets and will have to have some sort of uh, shave off for an injury or whatever. Um, so let's get them introduced to the sound of the clippers now, and mm-hmm. and doing that, and even just paw pad trims. Um, if we do all of that in the beginning stages and as soon as they're vaccinated, get them just to come in for visits um, and that will help them get used to smells and sounds and even, you know, the crazy dog lady that's going to be getting their hands all over them. Um,
1: exactly. It, you know, it's all well and good, the, the guardian sort of doing the handling training at home, which absolutely they should be doing, um, but we also get need to get the dog used to sort of strangers doing that same hand, yes. you know, the groomer, the vet. Um, uh-huh. you know, I always find as well, if you prepare them as puppies, my boys as a prime example, I mean, they are 10 and 12 now. And up until recently, they've never really needed the vets other than their annual vaccinations. But now uh-huh. they're getting older and things are starting to go wrong as such. They've had to have blood draws, they've had to have, you know, joints checked for arthritis and things like that. If we hadn't have done the training before, that probably would have been really traumatic um
0: really traumatic um, yes
1: now although yes there is pain elements it's something they know well and so they're going okay i'm not overly happy about this but i I understand what's happening um you know we take so much choice away from our dogs so much choice we you know choose where they live who they live with what they eat all this kind of stuff we need to be giving them some choice back in handling um yes whether that be in the groomers and the vets or anywhere that they need handling
0: now, you mentioned that um, you're talking about pain just now. Um, mm-hmm. In your experience in the grooming environment, what do you think most dogs are experiencing or struggling with the most?
1: So I can confidently say that majority of the dogs that I see come to me who have grooming problems, so whether that be early stages or, you know, it's got a last resort and the they've bitten a groomer and this now thing, Nine times out of 10, it's pain related. There is something going on, pain Bingo. in that dog, whether that be muscular, whether that be um, joint claims, it can be problems in the, um, in the skin. There is so much that can contribute to pain. Now, like I said earlier, again, I'm very lucky. So I work in collaboration with a lot of other pet professionals. One of them being a garland my therapist and chiropractor. that was
0: one of my questions really what is i would like to know i'm gonna sit here hold my hand up i would like you to explain to me and tell me what is a garland myotherapist
1: so the garland myotherapy um is a sort of brand they do very consent based um physiotherapy for dogs um but they are their ethics are very much about choice so the the one that I work with is Louisa, and she's fantastic. When she came to treat Max and Monty, a prime example, there's no treats, there's no force. She just waits for them to come to her, and it is magic. What watching her work is like watching some kind of wizard. Max got to a point where he was offering her body parts for her to treat.
0: It was so. Just- is it some kind of? Is it like an energy flow thing as well?
1: If I'm really honest, I don't know. She does, Louisa. But it does, works. Yeah, it does. I mean, Louisa is a Reiki practitioner as well, and so uh-huh. she does do that as well. But I don't know if all the garden My therapists are. Um, now, it, they've got a whole website. It's one of the things I was looking at myself, actually, because they do a lot of um, courses and things that you can sort of tune into, which is really good. Really good educational pieces on there. Um, but yeah, they, they, she's worth her weight in gold, and the amount of time that I see a dog come into the groom room. And I mean, since working with Louisa, I can no longer look at dogs in a normal way. I cannot help but analyse the way they walk, the way their structure is. It's awful. Um,
0: And You know, sometimes it's like, you know what, if you, it's, I sometimes regret having the knowledge. I think um, that that, don't you, right? Because you're like, (laughs) I need to know something else now.
1: Ignorance is bliss sometimes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, now (laughs) I just can't unsee it. And the amount of times that you have a dog that, they'll say oh they hate having their front legs touched or um they hate having their I mean, front legs is a big one and one of the things that we often find is what we may assume as their front legs or their feet being the problem actually they may be having overcompensatory pain in their shoulders because if you look at their gait their pelvis is higher than their shoulders now in ideal world it should be a straight line but obviously mm-hmm. it isn't and so, if they're compensating for pain in their back legs or they're compensating for pain in their shoulders, if you've got a dog who's overly anxious and is therefore holding a lot of tension, it's a bit like us. If you've had your shoulders up by your ears all day, it causes pain and that radiates down their legs. And so, actually, we need to address that pain before we can address the problem with the dog having their foot handled. We need to work you... why first.
0: You know, I funny you should say that because I recently I since I've been grooming, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if it's um the an existing problem that's being exacerbated, but I get a lot of pain in my arm. Um mm-hmm. and it, it shoots up all over the arm. And I went for um an MRI recently um because It appears, it seems, that the problem is, um, it is unfortunately age-related in the way the world goes, but um, it's up in my um, neck um, that the the actual, the issue is, but Mm -hmm. it's shooting that pain all the way down to my fingertips.
1: Yeah, And that's what happens the same with the dogs, is that you're looking at, we may be looking at the wrong area, but obviously as groomers, there's only so much knowledge that we have got. Obviously, we, we understand canine anatomy, we understand the hair and fur and things, but when it comes down to the muscular stuff, we may be a sort of, there's only so much we know, in which case that's when it's so important to have that network of people that you can call on who are experts in that field. As an, you know, I like to use the example of, if I go to the doctors and I say, I've got something, I don't know, um, I've got a pain in my eye or something like that, they will then refer me onto an optician. They will refer me to the specialist of that area. So the groomer, mm-hmm. we tend to be that front line. We actually get, you know, we are hands-on. We see the changes. We see the coat changes. We see the behaviour changes. So what I like to do is I write it all up in a report. I can give that to my guardians, And if I think that actually there's something going on pain-wise, I can call on Louisa and say, can you, you know, can you have a look at this dog? And do you think that they're, that, am I imagining things? Am I am I thinking something? She can then assess the dog from her perspective, write up these reports um, and then, in collaboration, we can give that information to the guardian, who can then get the pain sort of referral to the vet. Because the vet, oh they, my
0: gosh, they you know, the guardians must just love you this service that you provide for they, them.
1: It's just um, the way I try and explain it to the guardians as well is if we're all singing from the same page and we're all working in collaboration, it's going to be faster. Because the yes. problem is, if I'm not talking to the vet and the vet's not talking to me and I'm not talking to the guardian and, and vice versa. It only takes one piece of the puzzle to fall out, whereas actually, if we are all calling on our own expertise, I mean, I, I clap myself. I know obviously the holistic grooming diploma gives you accreditation as a certified behaviorist. However, what I tend to say is I'm a grooming behaviorist. I don't deal with behavior outside of the grooming environment because it's not my specialty. It's not what I. It's not what I do. However, there can be a knock-on effect if I have got a dog who is terrified of. Being in the car, for example, they get car sick. They are they've got you know they are trigger stacking. So if they have to come in a car, absolutely to me, yes. Then we're already on the back foot. So I then have to sort of unpick those things. Now what I may be able to do is I can give some tips and advice on what I know from my experience, or I can say, well, actually, I know where this behavior. She can work with you on the car section, or we find other ways around it. It may be that I need to go to them or something like that, and but we find we talk together. One of the best examples that I have of collaboration was a, a beautiful dog that I worked with who came to me referred by one of the behaviourists that I work with. Now, he'd had a really bad experience in a groomers where it had resulted in him being sort of dragged in the door and he was traumatised by him, absolutely hated, hated going in. And we, the first thing the behaviourist said was, okay, well, right, straight off, we're going to not go the groomers anymore now he is a a coat type he's he's a poodle cross so he needs grooming um so they were going to come to me for a more consent based approach we're doing it gradually if we needed to do one leg at a time so be it Um, and it was just almost like a means to an end whilst we worked out what was going on with this dog now the behaviorist already had suspicions of pain they already had these these issues that they thought something wasn't quite right now the owner had gone to the vet before but the vet had seemed At the time, to think, actually, no, can't see anything obvious. So, came to me. I then sort of mirrored exactly what the other behaviorist had said. And I said, actually, do you know what? When I try and touch that back leg, he is really funny about it. He's not so bad about his back. So, it's not the noise of the clippers he's got a problem with. It's not necessarily being touched on his face or anything like that. He's fine with that. But it's as soon as you get to that back leg, we also noticed that the fur was a slightly different texture, slightly different color on that back end. And so I fed this back to the behaviourist. We then agreed to get Louisa involved as well. She then wrote the report, um, had a look at the dog. And
0: Louisa is the chiropractor. She's
1: the chiropractor, yeah. So with the information that Emma had led on as the behaviourist, followed by the information I had gained as the groomer, and then linked up with Louisa as the chiropractor, when you put all of those together, we then gave a report to the guardian, who got to the vet, who then got a scan. And this dog was diagnosed. They had, uh, I think it's like a spinal cord. One of their spinal cords had sort of shrunk down on itself and and bilateral hip dysplasia. He's four years old. And, you know, they would never have. And to be fair to the vets. That's brilliant. Oh, it's amazing. And to be fair to the vets, they can only go on what they see in the, you know, in the clinic. And don't, we and, don't,
0: and, and we and we know that a lot of time the dogs are masking the pain, 100%. especially if they're fearful of the vets. Yeah, they that that fear overrides any sort of fear pain issues they have. So it is difficult. I think it, it is. It's it's not that vets are no good. No, it's that not. they can't possibly do it. So working in this way with a team of people mm-hmm. and you all um, collaborating is absolutely brilliant.
1: And it, do you know what it's worth it's way and the, the vets I mean my own vets they've referred dogs on to me as well and I've sort of folk with them because it helps it helps all of us if we're all talking together yes. it makes life easier for all of us um because like i say the guardians have then got the videos they've got the reports the vets can then use that as a as a basis of something to go on I mean like I said before we know dogs are stoic we know they love to hide things I've I've had dogs who you know owners who have said to me the dog can't be in pain they still you know they still run across a field or they still jump in the car um one of the first things to be fair that I do is refer them to the canine arthritis management page and there's a really brilliant video on there about recognizing pain in your dog um so I use a lot of their stuff in in my in my groom room and they've got a lot of really good forms that you can fill in as well that help analyse pain. Um so apart from, with that canine referral, how
0: do you a lot of the time we find that getting the guardians on board with, you know, they've turned up to get their dog groomed, they've never noticed anything, and now someone that someone's telling them this that, that that there's something not right. How do you bring those guardians into, um, bring them them, their thinking around? Um, What what sort of advice can you give to other groomers or, or guardians as to what, how do we encourage people to then go that extra mile and sometimes that extra expense? Because let's face it, they come to us for grooming and then we see something that we think that that would be worth a vet check a lot of guardians if they don't see anything wrong with their dog because they do know their dogs right so why why should they so how do you sort of bring them into the fold
1: so one of the things that i try and do is not put words in people's mouths so in the sense of if you put a label on something now, Emma, one of the behaviours I work with, has a fantastic webinar about this, but refers to dogs in that sense that about how we shouldn't label the dog. Like if you say your dog is anxious, you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you say that you need to actually say, what is it you physically see? What do you actually see? And so when a dog comes in to me, I will say to the owner, as an example. So I've got pictures on my wall of, um, a, sort of the perfect confirmation of a dog, like skeletal, muscular and all that kind of stuff. And so I might say to them, okay, do you notice when your dog's walking across this room here, look at the way their shoulders are and their, and their you know, their pelvis. Is that, you know, or look at the, if you watch their, I've, I've had it where I've said, if you notice that their back right leg, as they walk, it slightly slips under, it's slightly curving. And the owner, nine times out of 10, they'll go, oh, never noticed that before. Now I can't unsee it. And it's really bizarre. And it's things like that, or I'll point out how I had a dog come in recently who, we noticed there was one part of her of her back that all her coat is beautiful, black, silky, like oh, absolutely stunning. But there's this one patch that's really dull, um, and really odd, that she itches at it. Now, we, you know, she was oh, I thought she just needed a good groom, and I say I'm not denying that she may well need um, you know, a bath or a brush out, but it just seems a bit strange that it's just that one area. Whereas normally, like, if you think about your German shepherds, if they're blowing their coat, you know, there's loads of it everywhere. Yes. This just one localised area. And so it's it, educating in the sense of you're not you're not stating something's wrong. So I wouldn't come in and say, I think your dog is in pain. Your dog has got this. But what I would say is, do you know what? That doesn't seem right. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed anything else? Have you tried getting some videos? I'll send them the pain. Um, um, Louisa's got a fantastic pain questionnaire uh, and so have canine arthritis management. To be fair, on their website.
0: So Which we're going to get all of these. I'm going to get these links from you, so we can put them in the show notes. So anyone who's listening, don't panic. We will get it all put together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've um, so we have sort of like forms that we'll send out and ask the guardian to fill them in. And it's some stuff is really bizarre that you wouldn't think of. It's like you know, does your dog move around when they're going to the toilet? So how many dogs squat and then they start doing this walk? You know, why are they doing that? Is that normal? you know do they only lie on one side do they not lie down at all do they only offer one paw like all these little things and they all add up and when you put that all together and explain that to a guardian suddenly they'll go oh because in theory they're the ones putting it together not you so you're just in the seed. your job is to plant it you know at the end of the day we are not vets we're not vets we're not chiropractors we know our field we're not and i always upfront and honest with that to someone and i will you know, I will hand on my heart, say to a client "Look, I suspect there's something, but I'm not a vet. And therefore, you will need to get a veterinary opinion on that. They will need to be the one that has the final say as to what is going on. But I also explain to people, because this is the thing I think we need to like. Well, the one thing we do almost need to hammer home as groomers is no matter how much desensitization, counter conditioning or whatever other behavior theory you want to follow, if you are up against pain, you are always going to hit a barrier. The dog is only going to go so far. Because if you don't address the pain underneath, it is like anything. You can that dog is still going to remember that hurts. Yes. And we have to undo all that. Um, and even after the pain has been treated, then there'll be time where the dog is still gonna have that learned memory, it's still gonna have that thought process of okay, well, this hurt before. I mean, the amount of dogs that I have that have got a real issue with their ears, um, And they hate the dryer, for example. And I'll say, okay, but one of the times they went to the groomer, you said later on they got diagnosed with an ear infection. Now, could you imagine the noise of a grooming dryer when you've got an ear infection? It's just unbearable, the thought of it. And so even though the ear infection may be long gone and it's not there anymore, the dog is associating that noise from the dryer Mm -hmm. as a pain. Like, oh, hang on, that last time I, it, it you know, your fight or flight instinct kicks in. Your body, your, you know, it does it automatically without even realising. Because yes. it hurt them once before, their body is programmed to say, oh, that's going to hurt. We need to get away from it.
0: And it's whatever the picture was at that time. Absolutely. So it could be that something that isn't even connected mm-hmm. with that, um, that pain. Yeah. But um, there was, like, if you were out on a walk and let's say... Um, a dog a dog was um, bumped into or was scared by a plastic bag. And then, but right next to that plastic bag was a a, a log, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And then next time you go, so they're freaked out, but then next time you go out and you ask them to do, offer a behavior like pause up on that log, they may have linked that log with the scary plastic bag. Yep,
1: yeah. And yeah. again, the other thing you can bear in mind Let's say that plastic mat made them jump, and they have got arthritis. And when they jumped, it jolted that joint in their back knee.
0: So it's compounding even more.
1: Exactly. And so then, not only have you got the recollection of fear, you've got the recollection of that was scary and it hurt. Yes. And so in the grooming environment, I think that happens a lot, where the dog has got something. And you know their skin is so much more sensitive than ours. I can't remember the exact figure, but like the amount of neurons that they've got in their skin is unbelievable. And so you know they, we have to bear that in mind, especially on our puppies, they've got like really thin, really delicate coats. What we may think is we're not you know brushing too hard or something like that. actually, for them, that's really scary.
0: And and in skin wise, um, because you've done a lot of dermatological dermatological yeah, that word. Anyway, um, it's a lot dog's skin is a lot thinner, isn't it? Yeah. Than humans.
1: It is, yeah, and it's a lot more sensitive. Um, and so we have to be really cautious about the brushes that we use on the dogs and introduce them slowly. And I get it. I do I totally get no one wants a matted dog. We we know it's a welfare issue. However, I would much rather you know shave off a little bit at a time or brush one area at a time and the dog be comfortable and not traumatized then shave it all off in one go just the sort of okay I get it when we say on the grounds of welfare but my theory is as long as you are working on it and not just leaving it if the dog is at risk of fly strike or if they have got you know infected skin underneath then yes it needs to come off but if they are not emotionally ready for that then that's when we need to be calling on our vets. That's when we need to be getting the help. We may have to do it under sedation just to have it all after. The dog has no recollection of what's happened, but that's not a means to an end. I, I did sadly have a dog who the guardians, unfortunately by the time they got to me, this dog had been being groomed under sedation for about six years. It was horrendous. Um, I don't even know how it was allowed, <laughs> um, but because no one was willing to then work with the dog afterwards because the dog was obviously quite scared and didn't groom and it had bitten people but what that dog really needed was to have that one sedated groom have it stripped off you know and
0: then start from scratch
1: right from scratch blank canvas yeah with a baby brush to start with whilst it's really short then you can move up to your to your combs and your you know your more thorough brushes shall we say um and it's about that gradual approach and not rushing anything um it's something i'm really passionate about really really passionate about because i do think there is a lot of this but it needs to be done on a welfare ground without you know who decides the emotional and physical pain who who decides which one is more important so you know we're very quick if our dog's got a broken leg we'll be quick to get to the vets you know we get it fixed but if our dog is emotionally broken we we tend to just brush that away and sometimes i do wonder or worry is it because we can see a physical thing we can't Mm -hmm. see the emotional side so as as you know myself included you know I've got two dogs myself and the outward behind example Max is a very he's my collie cross he's very outward with his emotions bless him he's very barky very loud so he draws attention when he's outside so we've done a lot of work with him we did a lot of training um because I guess in some ways, subconsciously you're embarrassed because people are looking I at it. I think them. it is.
0: A people, we as guardians, if we have reactive dogs or, you know, if we get put labels on them or whatever, yeah. that it's we get, we yeah. worry about what people think of us. Mm-hmm. I'm a bad owner. I'm, you know, I'm yeah. not doing the right job. and And so I have a lot of empathy for people who come in to my salon and and have those struggles. So you're absolutely,
1: absolutely right. And I think that's the thing when you get the ones because you have the dog who let's say the dog is matted. Now the the guardian's done the right thing because they're conscious that the dog is matted. They're uncomfortable. They want that fur taken off because one it makes them feel a little bit better as well because they think they've obviously addressed the problem. But they don't necessarily see what happens in the grooming environment. They see their dog come out and is physically better. They know they're physically not in pain anymore, which is true. What they may not see, and it's not through any fault of their own, is the emotional side of it. They might not see that. Actually, that that was so traumatic for that dog that, you know, they were strapped up to a table. They they may have had their behavior signs ignored and things like that. And so my job, or uh, what I think any sort of consent-based groomer's job, is to sort of put the two and two together, that the emotional well-being of your dog is just as important as the aesthetic. I would much rather, like I say, send a dog half-groomed, but emotionally, they're okay. Because actually, yes. it's a lot easier to fix the physical pain than it is the emotional. The emotional is a lot harder to fix and a lot longer.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, didn't you win an award recently?
1: I did. I won the Pet Remedy Summer of Love uh, Pet Groomer of the Year award.
0: Now, when um, I read about it, you seemed a little surprised to receive it.
1: Yeah, honestly, I was completely it was out of the blue. So I'd seen it advertised, um, and I'd nominated uh, some of my behaviourist friends actually. So and I'd shared it on my page going like, oh, hint, hint, like laughing. But I had no no inkling whatsoever that anyone would actually nominate me. And if they did nominate me, I I know I thought it'd be someone like my mum.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and um, if You're like me, I only think my eighty-five year old dad listens to
1: my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I listened to it. I listened to it. Oh. Um, so I, um, yeah, I, I I had no idea. And so when they then not only did they actually say I'd not been nominated, but I'd actually won it, you know, there were people on their toolkit. There were people like Victoria Stilwell. There were people like Sharaf Patel. All these, you know, oh these my big gosh. names. Um, I was like, I mean, I'm not saying that they necessarily, like, they weren't, the, they were speakers on it. And um, I was just like, oh my god to be even like, in the I, same I, realm yeah, I was like my god my name to be even mentioned by Pet, you know Andrew Hale and I was just honestly I was so starstruck I think I cried um because I'm it's not surprised the, yeah it was, um but it's not it's not even just that it was the you know I I've got major imposter syndrome anyone who will you know all it's horrendous and
0: I've oh, joined the club I, yeah
1: oh god I think it's just, I think it's common in the pet industry, unfortunately. Um, but I was very much, you know, I've never considered myself to be, you know, one of the best groomers or anything like that. You know, when I when I think of grooming in traditional standards, there was no way I was ever going to win awards or anything like that. Um, and so to win an award, but not, you know, on something actually that I'm really passionate about. Yes. So to win an award based on the way I was working, which for a long time felt really lonely. It just felt like that there was no one else that worked like me. It was only when I found the Holistic Grooming Academy and what I started working with Stephanie that I realised that I wasn't on my own and that I wasn't completely bonkers. <laughs> um, I mean, my clients laugh at me because even the little, like every small win with my dogs. So I have dogs who come in, and even my six week programs that I do, I can guarantee you, at the end of it, I'll go, I can't believe that worked, and the client <laughs> almost looks at me like I'm like, they're like what? and I said it because they it just surprises me every single time because it does it it seems absurd it absolutely when you say to someone you know I can get your dog to file their own nails or I can get your dog to consent to being groomed now the one thing I always say and I emphasize this to everyone I don't say that I'm going to make grooming a positive experience because I don't think you can one hundred percent take the agreement, like take the stress. No,
0: out. but you can make it tolerable
1: and Absolutely. parts of
0: it enjoyable, right? Yeah, so exactly. That
1: right.
0: You you add that little pressure to help them grow, but yeah. then you throw that in with something that is going to release that tension. Um yes, 100%. so yeah, it's. Um,
1: well, I think yeah, yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I mean, one of the things that I'd say my biggest achievement so. Obviously, prior to my my groom room as it is at the moment. So obviously, when I started my business, well, coming up to be six years in May, at uh, March, sorry, when I started, you know, I was very much, I was learning, probably following the traditional methods a little bit. Not, I was never a hundred percent on the sort of traditional guidelines. I was always doing it a little bit differently. Um, and then obviously, COVID struck. Then I inconveniently fell pregnant. <laughs> Um, twice as you do oh
0: my gosh (laughs) Um,
1: yeah so I ended up going on maternity leave and going away now but the biggest achievement is when I came back after doing my big refurbishment and doing things the way you know I I thought I'm really going to take a chance on this and I'm gonna do it the way my heart is telling me to do it Mm -hmm. the thing that I found most incredible about all of that is I only have one dog now that doesn't come running through my door. And she's a little bit nervous. There's stuff we're working on with her, so I'm not overly worried just yet. But every single dog. And I'm talking about Isn't dogs it that
0: amazing have- when the, the guardians are literally I can hear them coming across the courtyard. Soon as they get into the farm where I'm located, I hear this and they are getting pulled through the door and they so- come barging in and jump straight on the table.
1: Yeah, it's oh, it's amazing. I mean, I've got two that have sort of come to mind. I had my Saint Bernard, who I oh, I saw a picture I, the
0: other day. Yesterday, it was on, I think Yeah, it was
1: today. Yeah, they um, they sent me some pictures of him. He is unbelievable. That I mean, you'd never believe the start that that dog had in life. Like, but he is just. And I actually thought his owner was going to fall flat on her face this week when he came in because he pulled her so fast to come into the room. It was, oh, it was lovely. And I had another dog who, again, used to hate the groomers. She'd been banned from the groomers for being fidgety. And the other day, her owners turned up early and I said, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I've still got a dog in here. Would you mind just waiting in your car just so I know that this dog can get up? I don't want any crossover or right. anything like that. And um, they're like, yeah, yeah, of course. And the owner came back and he said, I'm not joking. I have just listened to my dog crying for 15 minutes because she wanted to come in the groom room and couldn't understand why she couldn't come in. It was hilarious. And she did. She come bounding in and she jumped off the table. Now, for her, it's really funny because she'd been banned from one of the groomers mm-hmm. um, because she was being... Diff- I say banned, that actually, to be fair to the other groomers, they just found that they thought... It was more
0: than they could deal with. Yeah.
1: yeah. And she said yeah. that their um, environment... And to be fair to them, they referred her on to me because they said they thought the environment wasn't right for her. And um, it's really bizarre because she's a cockapoo. And we actually worked out, she is just a typical Spaniel and does not want to stand still for more than like five minutes. So what she does, which is brilliant, she runs up the ramp, she gets on the table, we do a little bit, she runs down the ramp, she'll run around, she might play with a toy, then she'll come back. Yeah, ping pong. She still gets done in an hour and a half. It doesn't take me any longer than any other dog it's just that she does it in her own way. And by giving her that freedom and giving her that choice and never once do I force her to come back on the table. I wait for her. And she comes back every time. And she leaves happy. She comes in happy. And that is worth its weight in gold. And I would rather that and I think she still looks beautiful as well when she comes out. So it's not that people can't have a good-looking groom.
0: You can, no, but I I I have been known to say to some of my clients you she, she said, oh, they look lovely. And I go, you really want to tell people where you got your dog groomed? And they're like, no, we are proud of it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, to be fair, I had a dog come in who I was working with, a wire fox terrier, and oh, he is beautiful. And his his guardian is a trainer. And she went to a, a class where she's training prospective trainers and she brings her dog in as a demo dog. Mm-hmm. And someone did ask her once, they're like, Oh, have you done a bit of a home grooming job? Because we were doing it gradually. And when she said, oh, no, no, I, I go to professional groomer, the other person was a groomer. And she was like, oh, you've paid for that. And she was almost <laughs> mortified. But then when the uh, Guardian explained how I work and what I do, the groomer was, was like, like over the moon and was like, oh. And actually, said groomer then went on to contact me oh. to talk about how it's working. So it was fantastic. I, I think that's
0: it. I get a quite a lot of calls from just people wanting to know more about this crazy lady yeah. and what she does um but I, I I honestly believe people come into my salon when they're when they're just being sort of like just look see and let's see what's going on mm-hmm. and then I start talking to them and I think I'm up with your passion and yes. so when I get excited I talk really fast as if I'm on a steam locomotive and I can't stop um <laughs> and I sort of see their eyes as if they go, you know, if we
1: back up slowly,
0: they she might not see
1: but- Absolutely, Absolutely. But I find you get, you know, energy is such a big thing. And I mean, dogs are the best judge of character ever. And I think sometimes the guardians see the dogs with me. Mm-hmm. They see the way that the dog trusts me and they get it. And they just go, oh, it's like a light bulb moment. Yes. Where- You know, when you explain to someone, I mean, I always use the same story that it was actually Sharai Patel, one of his courses that I went on, which to this day was probably the turning point for me. When I went on his course and he was showing us videos of him teaching cheaters to offer body parts for blood draws or dolphins and, and, you know, it just blew my mind because I was sat there saying, why on earth are we not on board with this With, with, you know, with our dogs? I don't get it.
0: It's, and, um, it's, 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 a, it's mind blowing that is, um, did you listen to Zara Jackson's, but Zara Jackson, who is part of taking the girl as well. Um, yeah. she used to train zoo animals and she, I spoke with her about it on a podcast episode because I was like, this is just blows my mind that you can, I see a lion choosing to put its paw out of a cage and have their blood drawn and just let it yeah. be and it's yeah yeah
1: but that's what i mean like you know, if, i mean i try to say to people you know you got to remember the zookeeper is with that, that animal every day it's the same person it's consistently but if we work in collaboration with a guardian if we're working together and we're all working on it I think that's the
0: key. You've just hit the nail on the head. It is, it is quite difficult or don't you, how do you feel about if, if the guardians want to do it, but they're not Mm -hmm. doing it at home. So that dog is only getting that, um, the chance to practice those skills when they come into the salon. That could be two, four, six weeks with nothing being done. So, I know that sometimes it can be a struggle, I find, to, you know, make it um, something that the the guardians want to do. Um, and so how do you deal with that?
1: So I try to go first for the quick wins, ones that the dogs will pick up very quickly, mm-hmm. that the owners then see and think, ooh, and they get excited by it. Yeah. But rightly or wrongly, I also – sometimes you have to put it in – money perspective in the sense of okay look this you can pay this amount to me for however long uh and you know if we don't if we get to the end and we've not progressed then obviously we in theory it has to pay, it's more sessions it's more right cost, in theory um whereas actually if we're working together in collaboration it doesn't take long no. and when you've got video evidence to show someone that you know I mean, I had a dog recently, Rafferty, a beautiful, beautiful miniature poodle, and oh my god, his his guardians were just the best, and everything I said, they went away and practiced. Everything, I, look, and isn't were,
0: that? I love it when when I go, it oh, you brilliant. get a gold star, you did your homework.
1: Yeah. But the best thing is, you know, he bless his little heart. He'd had he'd got in, he'd got into a real matted mess, and his owners were beside themselves. They'd actually come on one of my home grooming workshops. Um, but they were just at a point where they said, "I just they were first-time dog owners, they're like, I don't know where I've gone wrong. I can't get a brush near him. I'm, I'm really struggling." And you know, they were heading towards the vaccination. They, that's where that's the direction we were going to have to go. But by working together, we worked collaboratively. They stuck to the rules. They were working with a behaviorist as well outside for other other issues that he was having. And the passion between them, like watching it, they stayed with him for every groom with me. We did bits at a time and it was a, it was a joke that in november we'd say we said oh we'll have him mat free for christmas <laughs> and we did and we never thought you know this is a dog who's bitten their owners and you know yes. he, but we did it and he came in this was it this week or last i think it was last week he came in and again it's been a joke that they'd love him to have a poodle-y cut of one day and the dog one was day say, one day one day that day was last week <laughs> Congratulations, poodle! It was amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong; it wasn't perfect. He's not going to win (laughs) Cross, but they don't want that. And actually, but he had that exactly. He had the poodle face. He had sort of poodly feet, and his owner was literally just. She kept taking pictures of him. I can't believe it! I can't believe it! But he was doing chin rest. He was standing on the table, and he just felt comfortable. You could see he was. He's never going to love grooming. Hundred, you know, he's not gonna Don't be one of these. never
0: say people. never.
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, you never yeah, exactly. I mean, to be fair, if we'd have told me at the end of November that he'd have done what he did last week, I would never have believed you. But then when you give them that little bit of faith mm-hmm. and give them that little bit of trust, and you've also got to believe in yourself too. You know, give give yourself some credit. yes Because I mean, I've watched some of your videos as well, I've seen what you're doing with Doc, and it's amazing.
0: But, but you are, you're right. It's that imposter syndrome that, am I good enough? Um, and you know, I, I, I'm constantly trying to learn more and find out a better way of doing things. And that's one of the reasons I'm totally honest about why I do this podcast. And, you know, it's, I, if I find something interesting and I can gain some information, why not share it with everybody else? But, um, you know, I generally will, <laughs> won't lie, <laughs> reach out to people who I have um, seen or heard or I really like the way they work and ask them if they'll come on the podcast because it, I get a kick out of it as well. Um, so that, that's why I contacted you because I think that you have, you've really started lately. I mean, the someone in, I know that someone had posted from the U.S., I saw recently mm-hmm. saying, hey, have you seen this girl um, no. in the UK oh, and, and she's doing this stuff? Um, <laughs> I know I lived in the US for 30 years and I still can't do an American accent. But <laughs> but that was, and I literally, I jumped in going, yes. And you know what? I've referred someone to her as well. It was, it was so cool that your videos are being spotted and people are like, wow, look at this. It is possible.
1: So I know that, um, I mean, I even, it baffles me. I've had books, people ordered my books that I wrote um, in Australia or in America. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is going there. And I think the biggest, one of my, again, biggest achievements was Amber Batson, who is an idol of mine. I cried in one of her courses. And she, has, she asked me for footage of my greens to use in a conference in China. And I, it blew my mind. Shut and I the was
0: like, door. Oh, my yeah, God.
1: And I could not. I mean, I don't know if she actually used it, but she asked me for it. Hey, she asked, asked she you for it. Up.
0: I would, yeah. I mean, um, to have a conversation <laughs> with Amber, but I, you know what? Maybe I should try and get her next on the podcast. Oh,
1: see if she'd be up she for is lovely. it. Honestly, yeah. she's so lovely and so approachable. And I learned something from her. The day she came to visit my groom room when she wanted to see the setup and everything like that, because obviously it's different. um, I don't think I've ever, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm very good at cleaning my groom room, but I think I was cleaning every inch of that thing. I was having my husband fix any little bits that went wrong. I was like, this needs to be perfect. Dr. is coming! (laughs) Yeah, like, oh my God. And I was starstruck. I was like completely, but I'm the same as you in the sense that if I hear about someone that inspires me and I want to know so I've reached out to um, Hannah from Canine Arthritis Management Mm -hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure I've put myself on to do a tea and chat with her um, because I want to talk about arthritis in the grooming I've got two arthritic dogs I want to talk about the impact you know what can we do from a grooming perspective to make that easier for those dogs Um, and I also reached out so I'm very again back to my sort of network of people that I have um, that they put me in contact with John Mackey from um the London Zoological Society, so I was chatting to him about how he trains the dogs in the you know in the zoo and at uh, the dogs <laughs> animals in the zoo um to do cooperative caring and things like that because, i mean like, it, it is one way on to it.
0: continue with your CPD and you're continuing learning right? And if you're going to learn, why not um reach out and learn from the best?
1: yeah, and I think if you ever you, you will never stop being a student of your trade, there will always be something else there'll always be something to learn there'll always be a new way of coming up with stuff and I'll be the first to admit if I think um that I've done something not wrong as such but if if there's a better way yeah Um, I actually listened to a podcast by the Fenzy Dog Academy Uh, so there's a um oh they're fantastic and Mm -hmm. I was listening to one of their um webinars the other day and it was talking about luring and I know I've been guilty of luring Uh, Before, yeah, you have to try and
0: ease off on the lawing, but you um, can still law for a lot of things. I think,
1: yeah, you can, and it's just about learning a different way. And I try, and literally, I listened to a webinar, and that afternoon, so about an hour later, I had a dog come in, and I you tried it, it. like yeah, and it worked, and I was (laughs) like, oh my god, this is amazing, my mind is blown, and you know, so you're always learning, and I mean. We always, when I meet, we have our collaboration meetings at a coffee shop. Um, I think Starbucks must hate us when we rock in because they know we're going to be there till closing time. You know, we meet at seven and four hours later, we're still there. Um, And because we can't help it and we just feed off of each other. And I mean, I would say to any groomer out there, start networking, networking, talk to behavior, but not just with groomers, talk to vets, talk to trainers, talk to behaviorists, talk to hydrotherapists. You know, these are all people that have got a mountain of knowledge, and actually, it's really funny how quickly you'll see how it all blends together. Yes, you know, they are it was all linked. And when we're working together, and it's not just and that's another thing you can sell to the guardians because if you're working together, you're going to get a quicker result. You're going to get the best for that dog. We're all singing from the same hymn sheet.
0: Absolutely. Um, now, you talked about grooming, running workshops, um self-publishing your own. Book for home guide. Um, and you also have a young family. How do. are you managing it all? I'd just like a <laughs> sure. little bit of your fairy dust, please.
1: Um, if I'm really honest, I don't. I, it's all, it's all act. No, I'm joking. Um, so I'm very lucky. I've got a very supportive family. Um, so yeah, I have a one year old, I have a four year old, um, and I have two rescue dogs. Um, and so yeah, it, it is hard. And I won't lie, there are times where I sit and wonder what the hell I'm doing with my life um but I think when the passion is there you'll make it work you, there, there is always a way and you know I want my girls to grow up with a mum that they're proud of you know I want to show them that Aww. you can they can do anything that if they set their mind to and you know watching my four-year-old have her, my so my elderly dog he's a, he's at least 12 he could be older he's a rescue
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, he got up on the sofa next to her the other day she asked me if she could stroke him, and uh, I said yes. And she stroked him, and she then went, "Oh, mummy, he licked his lip. I think I need to stop. I think he's scared." She's four. Oh my! And so when I, you know, when I get moments like that, I think this is worth its waiting You pull while.
0: out your tissue. Oh,
1: <laughs> so but yeah, you know. Oh,
0: it, so what proud. are your plans for the future? Where do you want this journey to go to? Do you have any plans or are you just roller, riding the roller coaster?
1: Do you know what? If someone had told me six years ago when I started this like grooming, you know, I thought I was going to have to get a part-time job on top of it and things. If someone had told me that this was the direction it was going, I'd have thought they were mad. And so I have dreams and aspirations of where I like to go. I'd love to educate more guardians. I'd love to educate groomers. And, but I don't think I could completely step away from the docks because I love them too much. And um so I don't know. The the possibilities are endless, shall we say? And yes. I think that's true. I just, and I want to, you know, I love the amount of groomers that have reached out to me recently that have, you know, said, I, I I've got groomers that are coming to visit the salon, I've got groomers that are calling, people like yourself who contact me. And just being a part of that is is magical. And I think the grooming world is changing it is changing and we are i hope so be- i hope so i think it 2024
0: is. is a year that we can you know um hopefully make some real strides and get the more gentle techniques um, mm-hmm. spread the word um literally plant those seeds and get people just thinking yeah it's yeah.
1: coming it is coming and i think we are going to be the front runners on that you know we we're we're at the start and it's going to be a tough journey there are going to be bumps in the road but you've got people like stephanie you've got people like sue williamson like deb jones and all that you know yes. they are there they are, they are proving me and you we're showing videos you know that we are showing we're proving that it works and it's not you know we can't rescue every single dog but you
0: know you are making me want to go back into work now yeah it's just it sounds so amazing <laughs> uh, What's your top tip for individual individuals who are looking to venture into the dog grooming career today? What would be your advice?
1: My first thing, 100%, is start with the behaviour side of it first. Because I think to me personally, when you are that hands on and that up close and personal, you need to have that, you know, knowledge of, um, of of body language
0: uh-huh.
1: network build up your your team as such because it is lonely it can be hard so you know network with people learn about behavior and then learn the theory side of the grooming and the rest will come yes that's my sort of thoughts on it
0: i i think that's that's a good idea i think the behavior side of it is definitely not um developed enough And I would love to see more of that in the actual curriculum um, for schools.
1: I Uh, think it would also set people up more for success because I think the problem is when you go in with the training and it's very much about the styling,
0: it's task oriented, right?
1: And you haven't got the, you know, it's one of those things that it isn't a textbook job. Yes, I can 100% tell you from start to finish how to groom, you know, a poodle to a poodle standard. But if the dog you've got on the table can't cope with it, yeah. Yeah. Then that's when those groomers get unstuck. And I think that's where sometimes the passion drops because they then go, Well, I don't know what to do now because there is no textbook that tells you what to do. But actually, there kind of is. It's just not in the grooming world necessarily. Yes. It's in the behavior side. So actually, if you've got that toolkit, and even if you don't want to go into behavior, like, so if you don't want to do like programs like myself or like you, you know that's where your network comes in you can talk you know work closely with a behaviorist work with your local trainers and you know talk to them and say that this is the problem i'm coming across let them do the groundwork in search of the cooperative care and do all that it's what they do best um and then they can bounce back to you but they need to trust you yes. so they need to know that they're not going to put in that work with that guardian only for you to undo it so you have to work in collaboration with each other um, i think that's brilliant but, yeah.
0: advice yeah <laughs> so listen um for those listening um who want to follow you or follow your journey and see what your amazing video content is or purchase a book where can they find you
1: so my website is uh, woody's holistic grooming.co.uk um on facebook i am woody's holistic grooming and the same was on instagram um i am also on tiktok but a lot of it really I post
0: oh you're so That's modern
1: that's where I do all my videos. To be fair, that's where I put all the music together, and, and
0: I haven't just... jumped onto that yet. I'm. I feel oh, like I should, but I don't
1: know. It's another platform. It is a bit of a like. It is a bit of a headache at times, but there's only the so more... much time in a day, Danielle. Oh, tell me about it, honestly. And when, like, for me, I try and cram it into the three days that I am work. Um, so yeah, it, it. But the more platforms you get on, the more people you can reach because you've got some places that prefer different so trying to do it that's true
0: i i mean yes i get that okay i'm going to do it
1: never forget the but don't ever forget the the face-to-face stuff too because i think that's what people there's a lot of people that will jump and rely just on the social media stuff Mm -hmm. but actually a lot of my business a lot of my networking has been getting out there going into the vet so walking into the vets talking to them reaching out to the to the trainers to the local schools and things like that going to the pet shops talking to pet shops i mean you know find and also you find some really great people in there that you learn so much from yes um so it's not just about your social media following or your website or anything like that that's just part of the story you know you have to get and build that that, that attachment to people human human thing because i think that's what we miss sometimes
0: There's, yes i think we definitely do um it can be lonely as you mentioned earlier um so finally If you were a dog, what breed would you be and why?
1: Oh, do you know what? I hear you ask this question all the time and I'm always thinking like, hmm, do you know what? It'll make me laugh. I think I'm a bit like a collie. Like I'm smart at times, but I can also get very, very focused on something. Lights on
0: no one's in.
1: (laughs) It's like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And but I can also scare easily like a collie I'm quite a sensitive soul
0: really yeah
1: I am quite a sensitive soul I always think of my Max he's a collie cross and the collies are so misunderstood where everyone thinks that they're these scary and crazy intelligent dogs but actually all they want to be is, is your best friend they want to be your best friend they want to make you happy so, yeah, I hope that I'm a bit like
0: a collie. Well, no. you know what? And on that, on that note, I will be your friend, Danielle. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> because you, you, you've just convinced me. Um, this has been an amazing conversation and I'm so glad we were able to connect. And I would love to come down and visit your place one day and perhaps you could oh, come up to Happy Henry's. Um, yes, please. We could do a little road trip or something.
1: Um oh, I love it.
0: And I will um, will get all of the information that Daniela has spoken about and all the links. I'll add them to the show notes. Um, but thank you so much, Daniela, for coming on. And I am, I'm really looking forward to see where this journey takes you. It's, it's going to be fun.
1: I'm excited to see yours too.
0: <laughs> we will see. Many thanks to you listeners for joining me for this episode of the Happy Henry's Woof You podcast. Be sure to check out Daniela's social pages as well as website and I'll include all the information in the show notes too. Woof You is hosted and produced by me, Victoria Shepard. You can find Woof You Podcast on Apple Podcasts and the Happy Henrys website, happy-henrys.co.uk, where you can stream and download as many times as you like. Please do subscribe, review and rate until your fingers and paws fall off. The only way I'm going to improve what I do for you is to get your feedback. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics of discussions or people I can meet from anywhere, reach out to me through the website or our Facebook or Instagram pages at Happy Henry's Dog Wash. Thanks again. I'll be back in a few weeks with Who Knows?